Now entering the Bitcoin Podcast Network. Welcome to the Bitcoin Podcast, episode number 268. I'm your first host, Marcello. Host number two is not here today, so host number three, Dr. Corey Petty. And in place of D, until he decides he'd like to join us from work, is... Go ahead. Mr. Ray Redacted. All right, so we brought brought Ray on to uh, discuss all the cool happenstance that's been going on lately in, uh, in the ecosystem and just shoot shit. It's been on been a while since he's been on the show, so we brought brought him back to fill our fill our ears with all the sweet security nonsense that happens around uh, the internet's. It has been a while. When was the last time you were on? I guess probably one of like uh, it's the, been about five weeks, I think. Yeah. So, well, shit. Let's just let's just start it off. Like I actually, you know, let's do that one thing we were doing. Uh, and now that we have right here, it'll be interesting to see how his week was. Uh, Cello, how was your week this week? What'd you do? Uh, my week is good. Uh, there's a lot of stuff in my office because this is what I do all day. I'm in this chair and I'm either doing things to my left or doing things to my right. Not a whole lot more else going on. So. Nothing like on the computer? Just stuff to your left or stuff to your right? <laughs> just a lot of YouTube. That's it. <laughs> I'm, I'm in between contracts. If what I do you watch on YouTube? What is your YouTube go-to? Uh, podcasts, video podcasts. So it's not something that I have to fumble with every 30 seconds. There's a nice Joe Rogan podcast I'll leave on for three hours, like in the background. Did you, did you, did you, so, okay, I got, I got a story for you. I'm going to go next and we'll let Rick go. Um, All right. This past weekend, um, I went to um, a log cabin in rural Pennsylvania, like right on the border of Pennsylvania, New York, uh, for a bachelor party. And I was riding with one of my buddies uh, who lives in Baltimore and I downloaded a couple Joe Rogan podcasts just because that's what I listen to when I usually when I drive a lot. And I downloaded one because it, it said physicist in it. And I was like, okay, cool. And I was like, hey, uh, hey, buddy, you wanna you wanna start up you wanna start a Joe Rogan podcast? He's like, oh, I've never heard of them before. I never listened to that. And I was like, oh, great. What a perfect introduction to Joe Rogan, uh, the Joe Rogan experience. He heard of the show though, right? Yeah, he'd he heard of it, listened. and he okay. he knows who it is. He just never listened to it. Uh, he was curious, so I was like, all right, sweet. So I. I downloaded it and, I, and uh, I started it up, and it's this fucking guy who is basically talking about aliens for three <laughs> and a half hours, and like the guy who worked at Area Fifty One. Like if I, if I, I guess they made a new documentary on Netflix about the guy who uh, who like left, who's been t- talking to people for twenty years about what he did at Area Fifty One, and like worked on this alien spacecraft. And we listened to it, and he's like, "Dude, what the what the hell are you making me listen to?" <laughs> and then we had to basically talk about that for the rest of the weekend because I'm a crazy person who makes people listen to aliens. And that was my week, basically. So other well, than, you didn't storm Area 51. You're not going to be part of that group is, storming is that Area. That, is that where that came from? I think it is a little bit from I, that. I, had, I certainly picked up momentum. Don't get me wrong. Like listening to this guy, he's probably the most believable person I've ever heard in my entire life. And if anything, like he believes what he's saying. It's not a. It's like he for him, it's not a hoax or like. Or he's so—I don't know what it is. It's—it's—it's it's, it's mesmerizing to listen to this dude based on oh, the great. way he tells it. You have to listen to the episode of—I think it's Tom Deluge, the the old front runner of Blink One Eighty Two. He he's basically quit, quit music he's to nuts. look for Bigfoot. Yeah, that's all he does is hunt Bigfoot. That dude is nuts. This guy's not—he's well, nuts, but like he's sane. Like he has a strong <laughs> grasp of physics. And the things that he, like, he's not even happy with what he said. He's like, I don't want to say these things. <laughs> yeah, way. so that's Bob Lazar. Yeah. And then there's yeah. a new Netflix documentary about him. Hey. And there's also several YouTube videos that basically debunk him that, as well. 
that to kind of pick it apart. Okay, great. Because the documentary blows. Do not watch that documentary. Oh, really? It's so bad. Yeah, so he's been a, he's been a force in that uh, kind of conspiracy area fifty one community for a few years now. So, well, it's a hot hot button topic. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's not what we're here about. So let me tell you about my week. So this is the week before DEFCON with an F and Black Hat and B-Sides Las Vegas and Diana Initiative and a bunch of hacker conferences, not necessarily InfoSec conferences, but actual hacker conferences like the Black Hat hacker ones. And so this is always a very, very crazy week the week before because you've got to get a lot of stuff prepared and you've got papers to write and you've got presentations to make. But this week in particular has been insane because earlier this week, the FBI dropped a criminal complaint that was extremely specific about Capital One and the Capital One breach that happened on AWS uh, in April and, and again last month as well. And one. so my week has been occupied with talking to reporters and analysts and learning a ton of stuff about how it was done and trying to explain a ton of stuff about how it was done as well. So in the InfoSec space, the number one thing that we want to know when something like this happens is, is this exploitable by others, right? That's the first thing we care about. And so that was sort of the very, very first piece of research. Like what's the uh, splash damage? Like, like now that now that this is out, what's the splash damage? What can people take from this to, to then take elsewhere and, and do other damage? For sure. So you usually see copycat attacks. And if it's an O-day, a zero-day exploit, a, an exploit that isn't patchable, then when the patch does come out, the bad guys typically reverse engineer the patch and then take advantage of it. That's actually one of the ways that they typically do. Now, in this case, it doesn't look like this was an O-day and there really was no patching involved, but it is still a very, very interesting kind of a case study because we have an absolute ton of visibility to what happened because the attacker uh, documented and talked a lot about what she was doing. She talked a lot on Slack. She had a Slack channel, which I immediately joined as soon as this news hit <laughs> so I could go through all the Slack was messages. It, was for, it like a private Slack? Was it a paid for Slack? It was a, you know, it was a, it was a Slack just like the Bitcoin podcast Slack. Okay, where so you had go a, to join. Had a limit of 2,000 messages, right? And then you, but you join and then you go you'd send you an email. And then there were private channels that I joined as well. Yeah, so, but like the thing, the thing about that is that um, the the free Slack instances only keep the last ten thousand messages, so the search history only goes to that. Yeah, that took me back to June eleventh of last year because there were only thirty one wow. people there. Oh, there wow. were only thirty one people there, and these were hackers talking about hacking. <laughs> what a <laughs> she treasure was like, trove actually, of information. Right, yeah, you, so, you said they, and you said bad guys, but this was just one person. Is that unusual? For just uh, correct. One so this was not organized crime. This appears to be a single individual that probably by happenstance had worked at AWS before. Okay. Let's, 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 let's back up. Let's back up. What happened with Capital One and AWS? Yes. Yeah, so what happened with the, the uh, criminal complaint that dropped earlier this week was the FBI divulged that a little bit over 100 million credit card applications from the last 14 years were leaked, right? Basically, they were exfiltrated, which is a fancy word for they were sucked out of a data center to someone's hard drive locally, decrypted as well, with everything that you put on a credit card application, your, your bank information, your social security number, uh, very detailed work histories, et cetera. And so this was basically a very, very large database of credit card applications, both ones that were successful, meaning they got the credit card, and even ones that were not as well. So because of that, this is a, a, a Equifax, almost Equifax sized breach for, you know, just a ton of Americans. Right. Oh, yeah. And in the criminal complaint, they actually detail in great detail what actually happened and how it occurred. And she also was nice enough to upload some of the stolen data to GitHub in her repository where she also had her resume. A so public, a public repository. Correct. Jesus correct. Wow. So it wasn't a super duper hard uh, puzzle for the FBI to figure out who this person was. No. But uh, in that particular GitHub, you can see some of the exploit code. But what's interesting about uh, this person is she started out crypto jacking. So originally, her mission was to mine Monero and Ethereum uh, off of other people's servers, right? So that she was running a botnet 
that could basically mine cryptocurrency, which is particularly interesting because, um, you know, that a lot of times when you see that, it's not necessarily in AWS or necessarily in web hosting. It's usually like people's infected computers yeah. that are doing yeah, that. Yeah, like right? home computers would be best off for that. Yeah. So why, so, like, why does she, like, why does she grab this information? I can, I can understand maybe going into AWS. Maybe we'll get to like how she did that in a second. Um, but like, why would, why would she take this information if she's trying to crypto jack? Well, so suddenly something happened that the crypto jacking wasn't working anymore. And I actually, my current theory, which this is complete speculation, is do you guys remember when CoinHive got shut down like uh, like last year, a few months ago, or whatever that was? Yeah. That that was my current theory was was that may, that may have been when it stopped working. Period. Was perhaps she was using CoinHive or something like CoinHive, and they basically just turned off the faucet, so to speak. But at that point in time, it looks like from the data gathered that there was a little bit of a rotation towards, hey, let me poke around these WAFs, these WAFs, which is a web application firewall. It's a device that basically filters HTTP requests from one server to another server. So it's just like a firewall on the network side, but it's specifically designed to look at HTTP for things like SQL injections or malformed requests and basically look for those types of things so that our cross-site scripting is another example. And uh, it looks like the WAF returned credentials that then gave her the ability to pull out what they call buckets that were encrypted and basically exfiltrate them to her local hard drive. They were encrypted. How did she decrypt them? Well, so it looks like what happened was, was once she actually was able to gain the role basically of, of the WAF, uh, she was able to say list buckets and then sync buckets. And so the, the servers there were actually thinking they were syncing to another server instead of like a local hard drive, right? And so when you sync things, you have to decrypt them. Yeah. You can't necessarily, well, that's not 100% true. But in general, when we access data that's encrypted, we have to decrypt it in order to, to, to experience it, right? <laughs> if you think about like things like your cable TV or your satellite TV, it's broadcast encrypted, but in order for you to watch it, it has to be decrypted at some point, right? And so it was actually encrypted data, what's called at rest, but it was decrypted in motion, right? And so, and, and on the other side, she actually apparently had this entire, uh, this, this huge exfiltration of, of what's called PII or personal identifiable information. Is it, is it embarrassing for one person to topple down a company that size? Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I think it is. I, I mean, I think it potentially is, but every time there's a major breach like this, there's always a question of who's to blame. <laughs> and it's right really on. not clear here uh, who's to blame. So there's a lot of things that are still unanswered around that, right? Because what happens uh, when you go to AWS, which is a very, very, very large uh, infrastructure provider, they, they, they power almost 60% of the internet, period, right? Is they basically give you raw compute and raw storage, okay? You don't, they don't necessarily, it's not like a web host that protects you from all well, kinds of- they give of you the tools to protect things, but you got, that's like, it's almost like you gotta pay extra or know how to configure them yourselves. It's literally just like buying a computer somewhere else. Correct. And it's a very, very large computer and securing it can be extremely complex. Right. And a couple of years ago, we were seeing people leaving things open all the time, like this public data all the time. That's actually gotten a lot better. But in this particular case, that's basically what ended up happening was that the data was exposed and was able to be exfiltrated. Hmm. So where do we go from here? Like, what what's what are the consequences to this? Or, or is it something that you said earlier? Like you want to you we really care about the splashback or like the like the the copycats of this type of thing? Is this something we have to worry about? And then I think part of what we wanted to talk about is how does this how does this pertain to crypto and why do we care? Yes. Yeah, so a couple of ways that it pertains to cryptocurrency. Um, number one, all of the listeners to the Bitcoin podcast need to be watching out for phishing emails that pretend to be related to Capital One, right? Because we always, whenever we see a major breach like this, the bad guys always send out phishing emails that pretend that they're somehow involved in it and they want you to do password resets or put in your data or whatever else, right? And we've already started seeing some of that, right? Personally, there that's out there. But the other thing that's really interesting about this is a lot of the smaller cryptocurrency exchanges are actually hosted in AWS, right? It's very difficult to tell when they are or they're not. 
but certainly a lot of the much smaller. And I'm not talking about the big names like Coinbase and Gemini, but a lot of the smaller ones actually are using AWS instances, in some cases all over the world, because it's it's so cost effective and it's so powerful and it's so easy to do. So I think I've joked on the podcast before that you and I could start up a cryptocurrency exchange tonight. We yeah. literally could start a it up. A couple tonight. dudes and some and some cloud services. It, the biggest the biggest decision we would have to make is what's the domain name, right? So <laughs> we could call it Demetrix Exchange and button get get the domain and probably have the basic infrastructure around uh, some of that stuff done, you know, very, very quickly. So there's not a huge barrier for entry, right? No. In addition, cool. there's no regulatory controls. Like nobody actually passes a compliance test to turn up an exchange, right? Uh, there's no PCI type regulations, et cetera. So I would expect because of the Capital One breach to see a ton of people trying to do these types of things to a lot of the crypto exchanges that are out there. I mean, it just totally makes sense because if you think about the gains that you can get by hacking a crypto exchange versus getting credit cards, it's night and day, right? Especially like a naive one, right? Bitcoin. It's like yeah, a, if it's a naive sure. one, they're storing those wallets on the, on the servers, like the key stores on the servers, potentially unencrypted. Yeah, and that's kind of ironic because we don't have, in the credit card world, if you get your credit card stolen or you get charges or whatever, it's not on you. You don't, you don't have to pay those, right? But in the crypto world, if your stuff gets stolen off an exchange, in most cases, unless you're in Japan, you're not going to get that money back, right? All of the people that were wiped out in Cryptopia, they're just getting in line for whatever you know crumbs come back, but they're probably never going to get their crypto back. Uh, eToro is like the largest global investment platform for crypto, and they're built on this cloud experience, AWS. And where is eToro based? Uh, Hoboken, New Jersey. Yeah, so the good news about companies that are based in New Jersey or New York is in theory, they would have gone through some compliance hoops, right? They would have gotten licensed as a money exchanger or a money transfer agent. They need a, they need a bit license in theory, they too. should have independent audits too. They should have bit license too if they're operating out of New York and doing crypto. Okay. Especially well, exchanges. Which is good, right? The big ones, it's a huge advantage for the big ones from a trust standpoint, right? So if Coinbase had this happen, it's very, very different than if it's a mom and pop Russian exchange you've never heard of before. Oh, okay. Yeah, because like I think it's more definitely more for the fly by night people, like who are just trying to just trying to get, get their foot in the pie and get people like good exchange data and get started, and uh, because they're the ones that are going to be less compliant, less worried about security, like r running their operations securely and going through all the like minutia of making sure that your infrastructure is done secure, which may then lead to this particular vulnerability. Like, how how would someone how would someone I don't want to say like. Let's walk through the steps of doing this. Like it's <laughs> no, I don't mind. I don't mind. I mean, I have, we've seen this happen even on Binance, right? It's the exploits that people use are not super sophisticated exploits, right? They're things like cross-site scripting yeah. or SQL injection or, or even you know spoofing the website in many many cases from a you know from a phishing standpoint. Uh, and so you have to be especially vigilant when you're in the crypto space because your the security of those assets are on you, and if you're leaving them on exchanges. Every single exchange will get hacked before it's all said and done. Every single one. I mean, they absolutely will because at some point it's become too temptation. Too, the temptation is too high for employees inside the organization and something will always happen, right? It's, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. So again, this just really uh, brings back the main point, which is you've got to control your own keys. You've got to own your own keys. You've got to control them. If you don't have them, it's not your asset. Do you think, do you think people starting an exchange now wouldn't get that. So I, I feel like what you all, all you do for an exchange is keep things like you have a cold wallet, right? I, I, could, I could see a hot wallet being potentially available because you need funds to be available for liquidity. But like for an exchange, you would have you would there's a separation of funds there, and any cold wallet is cold, but it like should be, and that seems to be common knowledge. If you have the if you have the requisite skills to build an exchange. You should at least know that because you have to implement <laughs> wallets. Like you have to implement wallets and no one's going to be that naive, are they? Well, think about Quadriga, right? Quadriga CX was that Canadian yeah. exchange and it turned out they well, were full like, of shit. That was like they fraudulent didn't, they from the beginning, though, right? Like <laughs> I mean, and, so the, and, and, and by the way, we don't really, besides Coinbase, we don't really have proof that the cold wallets are truly 
backing the assets, right? The temptation would be very, very high for someone to marginalize trade and basically bet on the house, so to speak. And you, you don't have visibility to that, right? Like even if you look at the blockchain, you can't see Binance's, all of Binance's cold wallet addresses, right? You can see some of them and certainly the ones that you see movement in and out of, but they, they have a vested interest in making sure that no one knows exactly how much they're holding in cold and holding in hot. Well, at least I'm getting a, a passive income from all the claims I get to make from between, uh, you know, uh, the Equifax and potentially this one for the whatever it becomes. Get yeah, my, so I got some bad cool news for you. $125 there. from there, uh, bad news. So originally Equifax had announced that they would give every person affected 125 bucks, but so many people have applied now that that amount has, keeps going down and down and down. And as of now, it's going to be under 10 bucks for everyone who applies. No and they're way. saying, take the credit monitoring because we're, we're, we don't have any money at all. Wait, so, but if I got in at the 125, I get that though, right? Absolutely not. The way class action lawsuits work, <laughs> the lawyers get their money, but the class action group is estimated. And if it gets bigger, then everyone gets less. And if it gets smaller, then everyone gets a little bit more. And in this case, it got bigger by a huge factor. Well, they made it really easy to submit a claim. Yeah, well, so I do expect to see some additional uh, litigation or something around that because they, when you submitted the claim, it was based on it getting 125 bucks. But Well, and then uh, also you get... $20 per hour you wasted monitoring your credit. And if you did up to 20, you had to submit documentation. If you did 10 and under, you didn't have to submit documentation. So essentially, if you're unethical, you could have got 10 free hours of money on top of that 125. I'm a little unethical. I got a little... <laughs> but um, no, if, if they lowered it, it doesn't every matter. hour you wasted because of this. Because if it was every hour you wasted, I mean, we, we could because also of that. Yeah. <laughs> so you had, you had to put the month and the year of, of when it affected you. Um, yeah, and what but, all you but, did, right? Aren't you supposed to say what you did too? Not, if you claimed less than 10 hours, you don't have to. But if you did more, then you had to do it specifically what you did, how much time you allocated towards what task. Um, because a lawyer is not going to nickel and dime you over 10, 10 hours. <laughs> that was the explanation. But maybe they will maybe now. Maybe they will. Yeah. So, you know, DevCon with an F is next week. 20,000 attendees over three days, Las Vegas. Are any of these... Uh, uh, news stories that happen within 10 days of the conference. Is there going to be some presentations on it? Are they going to change the agenda a little bit? Is it going to affect Well, it? so uh, make no mistake about it. Black Hat is the corporate InfoSec kind of uh, uh, professional it's, it's conference. The, it's the uh, corporate DEF CON. But DEF CON is a hacker conference. Oh, it's not an InfoSec conference. Cash only. Right? So they do not take credit cards. You have to pay cash. There's no record of who's there. Uh, you can't take the, pictures uh, or whatever. Like you do not want to use your phone. You do not want to take your laptop out or join any Wi-Fi. You need to have a burner. Burners, I mean, everything. All, I all remember, this stuff, right? I remember going to uh, going to like the prep class for um, our one previous company I worked for, for like what to do to go to DEF CON. And it was like, uh, if you don't have a burner, don't bring it, basically. <laughs> <laughs> it's because someone will hack it and steal everything inside of it. Yeah, so generally Spot there the are Fed, like O'Day's all drops. That there's all kinds of shenanigans that typically happen at DEF CON, but Black Hat is like the more professional one. And besides, it's kind of the smaller community focused one. But yeah, there will definitely be this year. There will definitely be talk uh, about this. There is a cryptocurrency village. There is a crypto village where they're going to be talking uh, a ton about uh, privacy related coins. Right. There's a bunch of sessions about the privacy related coins like um, like Monero and, and Zcash and some of those. Right. Yeah. And then there's a voting village where you can go into Oof. the voting village and actually hack voting machines. So you actually can learn how to take over a voting machine and then put your own code on it and manipulate votes and all kinds of stuff like that. And that's a huge topic this year because most hackers, white hat and black hat, are saying that from the voting machine standpoint, we have to have paper ballots that are optical scannable because every single major voting platform has been has been hacked at some point. Right. Easily. So it's not that good. And like, like easily hacked. Yeah, well, yeah, really, yeah, but there were children doing it and everything else last year. So um, that was that that that's a big, huge week with a lot of different things that are going on. Kind of like Blockchain Week in New York used to be. I don't know if that's yeah, still like that. It is. In your, in your experience going to DEF CON and, and Black Hat for so many years, um, have you seen the sentiment towards cryptocurrencies change over the past like three to four years? You know, it's a really that's a really funny question because in the infosec world, whenever something bad happens. It is literally a joke to say blockchain could solve this, right? Like that, oh, that's yeah. actually that's, something that you go, say. Go listen to Beers of Talos, and that's like their, yeah, yeah. Their, <laughs> they'll their, say, "Well, blockchain could solve this," and everyone's like, "Boo!" 
Um, there definitely has been an uptick in interest, not in Bitcoin, but in the privacy coins, right? Uh, there was a huge uptick of, of enthusiasm around Ethereum and the platform and everything else like that a couple of years ago. But lately, it seems like the focus has really been way more about uh, you know, using using some of these technologies for secure messaging because everybody's really into that now. Hmm. Um, Who's doing using that? Some of these... <laughs> Where are you on that, by the way? How are you doing on your uh, your signal killer? Your, we'll be going uh, your through. We're we'll going killer. through version one audits um, for app for the mobile app here in like a, a week or two. Starting those. Yeah, well, you can't do it too soon because we're, the government is yet again saying. We got to do something about backdooring encryption. We got to every few years they pop up and say this again. And the example that they gave was WhatsApp and drug dealers using WhatsApp in group chats, which is really really funny example because WhatsApp is owned by Facebook. Yeah, it's going to be interesting because like our our company doesn't have a headquarters. So what I mean, we have multiple jurisdictions, and I'd say like if something happens, we'll change that jurisdiction to not deal with that that. Type of thing, and so like with like say for instance, uh, let's take the like the legislation that currently exists in Australia, right? Can you you, you know what that is? Sure. Can you go over that a little bit? Sure. Yeah. So, well, the, the entire point you're making actually has to do with with cryptocurrency too. Yeah. The more regulations the country gives, the more people move out, right? <laughs> if it's if it's if they're strict and there's backdoor rules and there's there's you know Calia rules, which is the uh, some of the laws around communications enforcement, law enforcement uh, assistance. Uh, then people just pack up and move. They move to Malta or they move to, um, you know, friendly countries that are out there. So that is, and that's a perfect example of this, right? So Australia has been experimenting with uh, restricting types of encryption and types of messaging, and it has been an abject failure, right? It has not been a successful uh, project for them. And every few years, we pop somebody pops up in the U.S. and says. We got to have back doors and, and things for law enforcement. Well, that was and like nobody is bar was saying a lot right over the past last couple, week. Yeah, yeah correct. And nobody has ever been able to say how you can put a back door in for law enforcement that couldn't be taken advantage of by the bad guys. Right? There's there's really no way to do that. There's no magic wand, so to speak. No, you introduce a vulnerability. That vulnerability is available to everyone. So yeah, far, I mean, so far as we know, right? Yeah, but you're limiting math, right? When it really comes down to it. It'd be like if Congress passed a law that said you can't do multiplication over twelve, right? I mean, yeah, it's, it's basically a, it's a bigger number, it, right? Yeah, it's a much bigger number, and it involves elliptical curves and entropy and a bunch of other things. But at the end of the day, I mean, ultimately, everything about encryption is is really about being able to do math and asymmetric functions and things like that. Yeah. So back to um, kind of like that whole like Australia thing, what they've done. They, they basically like that's the ruling from what I, from how I understand it. Or the legislation from how I understand it is that like a government official can ask an employee to put a back door into an encryption scheme, and they cannot tell their boss, they cannot tell anyone else, and they cannot say no. Correct. They can be compelled. That's yeah. called, that's called compelling, right? Yeah. And it's and a bunch of companies are going to be not doing business there because of that, right? Because yeah. people yeah. do need to have privacy. And secure messaging is going to be some, probably the next, the next, the last bastion of a lot of privacy, or at least the, the, the next, the, the next big thing. Uh, what will be the last bastion? Secure messaging. Oh, for sure. Yeah, for sure. So there are some of those out there now, like Signal and Wicker are kind of considered encrypted end to end, and WhatsApp uses Signal encryption for for person to person. They use right? the you, double if, ratchet. Yeah, the next three. Yeah, if you're talking to just one person. Um, uh, the ones that we don't really know that much about are Telegram, actually, because Telegram still has a few packets flying back and forth to Russia and some other things that are out there, right? Um, but Signal is kind of considered the gold standard for end-to-end, right? Uh, and then there's others out there that like Wicker that you can trust, right? The one you really cannot trust for secure messaging is SMS because it's very easy to spoof, intercept, and you know capture it. really wasn't designed for secure messaging. So Corey, you, you guys had a town hall meeting about secure messaging within status, correct? Was there any cool developments that are kind of combating that or any developments you want to talk about? Well, we, like status builds off of um, open whisper systems, which is which is what signals like open source code is, which is uh, kind of how you get the security guarantees that if someone intercepts some of your messages, they can't get 
anything after that or before that, they're going to like get that one message. So it's basically all the secure, the secure communications protocols of sending messages for private chats and group chats, or at least uh, private group chats. Public chats are a different story. So, uh, so we actually took that and then altered it a little bit um, for in it for a decentralized context. Because right now, like the way you do things is you create a bunch of keys, you then store them on a centralized server that that uh, like say we'll take Signal for example uses. And then if anyone wants to contact you, they contact that server, get the keys, then contact you. Um, we we had to change that because we have no central servers in in status. So um, I would say we're uh, more secure than status, but scalability is much more difficult in a lot of ways. Mm. Yeah, I, Sorry, I'm wondering more secure than, than than Signal, but but security is like the selling point. So the people that are going to be like using this privacy um, like like you don't like for us the only thing you need to use the platform is the application you don't need to attach any any part of your identity in any way shape or form and like and not like the corollary to this or like i don't know if the corollary is the right word is that um you don't need to attach anything to it so spam is could potentially be an issue there's no way to there's no way to attribute an identity like so someone doing things to their identity unless they choose to disclose that type of thing because we've taken a stance of we don't want any of your information we don't track anything and we don't we don't force you to attach any of your identity to your uh to using the application it's it's you could potentially be completely anonymous interesting yeah so everyone that uses that is like is on the same ground level you could be a spammer you could be a legit person you guys haven't figured out a way to differentiate between the two. Uh, so we have ways that you can opt in. So like right now you can uh, basically stake a bit of our token SMT to then get a, get a publicly registered username on, on the uh, Ethereum naming system, ENS. So that basically you say like, if you go into status and you type petty and you search for petty, you're going to find me and only me. There's no way to spoof that. Um, there's ways in which you can opt in to get some of the services you want, but um, if you don't want to do those things, then there's nothing we can do about it. Uh, and we're going to add in kind of incentivization mechanisms for for sending messages. So right now, Whisper, like the the network protocol that we use for passing messages, is uh, also obfuscates the routing. So like if I send you a message, Shella, or, or you a message, Ray, there's no one, there's no way for anyone to know that I've I've communicated with you. It looks the exact same from a packet level perspective than everything else. But on a, but like an early adopter level though, people are just going in and they're saying like, hi, and then they disappear because they just want to see how it works. Yeah, pretty much because it's also like a crypto wallet. It's also allows you to, uh, like, um, browse dApps. So if you want to get on crypto kitties or use uh, any of the apps to do DeFi, things like that, you can just do that automatically. You don't have to have MetaMask or something like that just within the app so it, we have all three of the same i think we're the only platform that has all three that then also focuses on privacy and we're hoping so, that we can be the window to like decentralized applications and secure storage as well as like um safely storing your, your your keys for whatever these things end up becoming but the keys are on the blockchain no 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 uh they're on your they're on your device and it's multi-device well, there's certainly a big opportunity for someone to solve that problem because right now most people have seven or eight messaging applications. If you count Slack, maybe even more than that, right? And oh, I have one of these is going to come along. And... <laughs> <laughs> I have every single one of them, and I have to keep them up because I'm in so many different channels. My my goal is to have something where, like, ultimately, I I join Status because I want content creators or like I want to enable people to create and join micro communities that also have value exchange um, with the internet you were able to create like think about reddit right you could join any subreddit of any hobby you have and there's a community of people that will tell you in-depth information and like give you feedback on whatever you want with from from beginner to advanced to obscure to normal but there's no value exchange there and so it's very difficult to like have to like invest too much of yourself into it because you at the end of the day you have to pay your bills i want something that allows you to do that same type of thing that also has value exchange and that's a, that's also a double-sided sword too or two-sided or the, there's two sides to that edge right 
because <laughs> I've said it all wrong every time. But um, that can enable echo chambers as well. And if you add value or like value flow to echo chambers, they then become even worse. But I think it's important to enable to like, for people to like do what they want, join the community that they want across a globe, and get and be able to like get paid for contributing content to those things. Think about our Slack, for instance, right? We have like what, 700 people on our Slack or, or more around there. Um, I interact with these people on a daily basis. They interact with us on a daily basis. They give us feedback. But what if we could we could like interact with them more in terms of like incentivizing them to do things or contribute to the podcast or help us make the podcast by paying them to do certain tasks and so on and so forth. If we enable value flow um, within this, like our micro community of us as content creators, then everyone wins. But there's no real good platform to do that. Well, so Reddit actually borrowed from Slashdot with the idea of karma, right? Or even on Slashdot, you could pick a post and if people liked it, they could vote it up and you got some brownie points. But there was no money, of course, associated yeah. with it, right? Yeah. But I guess you're saying that people could vote you up and you might get a few a few tokens? Well, it's 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 arbitrary. Like I, I don't want I don't want to have a say on how that community self-organizes. And right now, there's no platform that um, allows for anyone to organize the way they'd like to, especially with value flow. Yeah, that is interesting. You know, there's also a dark side to that, though. By the way, Abs which, absolutely. one of the things one of the things that Reddit allows is it allows human beings to come together in very impromptu, you know, groups for free, and we see a lot of of the darker side of humanity because of that. Right? Four chains even worse, right? Because they have somewhat of an anonymity aspect to them. Yeah. So yeah, you throw anonymity on top of the fact that people can find like like-minded groups and stuff, and it gets real nasty, you know, real quick. You start seeing doxing and and all kinds of racism and all kinds of crazy stuff when these groups start to form. And then at what point do you draw the line? I guess Ledger's. You're saying you won't draw the line anywhere. Uh, no. Like I don't want to. I don't want to draw the line. But the thing is, like, I don't want. I want to build a base that doesn't draw a line. So people like, and that's that's this. So people can build what they want. And that's this whole concept of um, like, it's impossible to build a decentralized platform on top of a centralized infrastructure, but not the opposite. You can always build centralized, centralized things on top of a decentralized infrastructure. And so if we, if we make a foundation, a communications platform with value, or anyone does for that matter, that's secure and private, you can always make concessions and opt in to give up those rights and build something on top of it that operates however you want. But you can't do the opposite. You're never going to be the opposite. Hmm. It's like the whole, that whole, like that whole saying, like, uh, the, what is it? The message is the, the medium is the message. Like how you communicate forces you to change the way you communicate. And so, like, the more narrow-minded that communication channel is, uh, the, the less you're able to express yourself in a lot of ways. And so, like, our goal, at least at status, and what I think our goal is, is to create something that's as, as broad and secure as possible and private as possible to allow everyone else to just build on top of it to make what they want. If you guys are, like, promoting, like, a high signal-to-noise ratio, in essence, you're promoting, like, a groupthink. And then once people figure out the dynamics, because once status isn't new anymore and people understand it, won't it be kind of easy to game, just like the way Slashdot was and how Reddit is now? I should hope not. That's kind of the whole... I think that's the difference between um, mechanism design and game theory. Right? Uh, when you make something, you come up with rules such so that they can't be gamed. Or like they can only be gamed in a certain way. Because that's just the way the rules work. And once you set that in place, you set that into motion, then that's where game theory comes into play. How can we game this set of rules to best like suit our own bias or, or, or uh, idea of what we want to do? So if you can come up with a system, that's I think that's the majority of what these like interesting blockchain experiments are, is setting up a system using uh, using a should have just lost my train of thought. Setting up a system using a like, mechanics or, or, and then seeing how people use game theory to take advantage of those things right 
how can I make this thing so that it can't be taken advantage of? And then you set it in place and it's in motion and the community basically says, well, this is how I can take advantage of it based on how you set it up. And that's this game we're playing basically. It's like, what, what set of rules can we do that's the most fair that leads to a, as fair a system as possible and then see how people then take advantage of those rules to then best themselves? Because at the end of the day, everyone's selfish. At least you can you can always you can probably make a solid bet on that. People are going to be selfish first before they're altruistic. Yeah, absolutely. You know, if you think about the utopian vision of Bitcoin and and the plan for people having decentralization and and not needing necessarily to trust your neighbor or your peer for it all to work, I think the one thing that they really didn't foresee was there'd be twenty four hundred alts. Right. That's sort wow. of what kind of ruined the entire experiment, so to speak. Right. Yeah. It takes a lot of like the digital scarcity out of play because you can kind of make digital scarcity out of thin air and then you can create public opinion or speculation around that scarcity. I went to a job interview today and because of the podcast on my resume, they asked me what my favorite altcoin was. No oh, shit. boy. Would you, did you say Ripple? Come on, say Ripple. Tron. Say, Ripple, say, say Ripple. Tron. You said Tron for sure. <laughs> say Tron. <laughs> well, I, I tried to throw him for a loop. I said uh, Ethereum. And he goes, Ethereum's not an altcoin. Oh. Quality. So that was very, it was very interesting. Well, I mean, did it depends yes, on how you define platform? altcoin. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's a platform. Correct. Wow. So what did you say when he said it's, it, that's not an alt? Uh, you know, I'm I, I, I'm in the I'm in the 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 group of thinking if it's not Bitcoin, it's an alt. Yeah, I but, think Andreas has come around on that though. By the way, I think he actually is saying that if it's not Bitcoin or Ethereum too. I mean, in, the, in that new book or whatever, right? Didn't you guys just have him on a couple weeks ago? Yeah, yeah. two weeks ago. Yeah, so, just uh, yeah, so, master Ethereum. But that is interesting. I thought it was every, I thought Bitcoin and then everything else was an alt. I, that's always the way I thought about it. Well, originally, I mean, the the origination of altcoin, uh, where it, where it came from was all of the things that forked Bitcoin's code and created the sure. dark blockchain. Um, and then you had, after that, you then had a few things that then forked Bitcoin. Um, Ethereum was the first thing to be a, like, I would say one of the first things with any real mainstream adoption that created everything from scratch. Um, but based on the definition of it's not Bitcoin, so it's an altcoin, Ethereum could, could be called an altcoin. It depends on how you how you view things, but it's gotten such mainstream adoption. Um, it's what enterprises are building on for the most, like for the vast majority. It has the larger de developer community, and it's in in my opinion, it serves a completely different purpose than what Bitcoin's trying to serve. Um, it's semantics. So I've always thought of it differently. I, I've always thought of it like this: like bitcoin was the invention that had one purpose right the the transfer of value the the movement of of currency and, and value from place to place in a decentralized way but ethereum came along if, if bitcoin was like a mainframe right it was a designed computer ethereum came along and built a platform so instead of it just being one machine for one purpose you could do a ton of other things even some things we never even thought of before right things that people make up as we go yeah that's it. That's a like. That's what Vitalik usually did for a lot of his welcome to Ethereum talks. Was like Bitcoin was a calculator. It calculated really well, but Ethereum is supposed to be a smartphone in which you can have a calculator app, right? You can also build other apps, and there's trade-offs there. There's always going to be trade-offs. It's not going to be as efficient. Um, it's more. It's it's much more difficult to create something that's secure because it's more general. Uh, things like that. It's, I don't know. It's it's, it's the, the 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 camps that that say uh, Ethereum is garbage because it's general. It's it's like saying like uh, like it's throwing the baby out with the bathwater in a lot of ways. Like saying like um, JavaScript is a shitty language because you can do bad things with it, or even C is a shitty language because you can do <laughs> bad things with it. Well, no no shit. You need to be a good programmer. Otherwise, you're not making good programs. Anyone, anyone can make bad programs. They're not going to get used because they're going to get you know torn torn to pieces in a, in a, in a heartbeat. That doesn't make the thing that created it bad. That's my stance in a lot of this. It's like I, I, I'm I'm typically for generalized solutions, and then seeing what genius people do with it, and not like what the majority of people do with it, because more often than not, look at what businesses. How businesses operate across the globe. 
99% of businesses suck because people make shitty businesses. <laughs> it's the same situation. Yeah, and they can come on announcements anytime they want. <laughs> Am I going to be able to get you guys' opinion on the latest shenanigans from John McAfee? Fuck him. <laughs> oh, this is the one where he's finally in a secure location with his wife and the room is padded in aluminum. Yes. Yeah, so he, he built a, a mylar-based uh, Faraday, Faraday cage, cage right? <laughs> Posted these pictures that look like Riddle Trap. Yeah. <laughs> and had a cell jammer inside the room and then he like they wrapped the keyboards with aluminum foil i mean it was literally like something you would see like in a in a movie like just something enemy gets of the state. it's like enemy of the state but like worse you remember that movie with yeah. will smith was it will smith yeah and gene hackman yeah but none of those things you can't put aluminum foil over your keyboard and all of a sudden you're safe <laughs> That's no. what you he's losing his mind no but you can't if you build a faraday cage you can't stop RF communications from going in and out. Like you could, you could in theory do it. Oh, you could but build it just a looks so cage. funny. <laughs> you could build a Faraday cage. Let's not get carried away here. But it's he's he's insane. It's just he's an insane person. I don't. I and I, and I hate giving him attention. Like, no, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to feed the troll. <laughs> like, why do we care? Why do we care what this insane person is doing? Because like, well, well I, I, okay, maybe for entertainment purposes, but the problem is like, if we feed it and give it entertainment purposes, there's a lot of people out there that then see it as legitimate. Because they don't, they, they're not, they're not capable of discerning the bullshit that he says as bullshit. Right now, we're we're going to pay attention to the loudest guy in the room because it's such an early industry, and he's taking advantage of that, and he knows that. You saw how full the room was when we went to the Bitcoin conference last year. Yeah, but it's like. Is that a good thing? That's not adoption. That's that's like taking advantage of people and, and and their and their willingness to try and learn and then using it for your own advantage. That's not a good thing. Welcome to the ICO craze. I just think it's necessary. I'm not saying it's a good thing, but in to be an early adopter in any new uh, industry, it's going to be like uh, American Gladiators going through the hurdles and and you know the the pads hitting you. It's there's just going to be a lot more victimization. And a lot more scams than legitimacy because people are are preying on your ignorance. Well, we and also have this burning desire to have celebrities, right? Every industry wants its rock stars, so to speak, right? And instead of it being Vitalik or, God forbid, Roger Ver or somebody, right? Well, here's, being... here's the thing about being a rock star: it's a prerequisite to being a rock star. Uh, you you have to be an absolutist. You can't you can't have a platform of subtlety and be a rock star. Name me one. We're like, oh, that's, you know, it's it's a mixed bag. We can go both ways. Maybe one rock star that's not like, no, this is how it is. This is how it always will be. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> yeah. and, and and unfortunately, reality is subtle. It's always a mixed bag. There, there are different perspectives to certain things, but that's not fun for people to hear or rally behind. And, and then also, nobody cares about sim swapping unless it happens to you. Or it happens to somebody who has a lot of followers, or it happens to somebody who has a lot of money in their bank, or your just, family, or your family. You know, these things are just necessary. Unfortunately, it's human nature. I don't know. Burn it all down. Does it have Burn to be down. like? I mean, I've, I okay. I have this 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 hope or vision or 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 like desire uh, to create technology that doesn't like that allows people to operate safely without having to know how to operate stuff. Is that even a possibility? Ray, I'll let you have that one. <laughs> well, sure. I mean, you guys talk about this every week. I, I, I can count, you know, at least a dozen times this year that the conversation has come up about adoption and will people need to know they're using Bitcoin when Bitcoin becomes the dominant currency, right? Do you have to know that? Do you, do you have to understand all the rules and all the other kind of stuff? And I think if you think about the iPod, right, that's the perfect example, or Uber, you don't have to know how any of that crap works to use it, right? That's that's what brings you past that, that through, the, through the curve, so to speak, to get to that adoption side. You, you can't make it so, so nerdy and so technical. Yeah, here's the problem. It, it here's, here's the problem with this. In the process of getting to that, are we going to have to make so many concessions that we've lost the kind of like original vision of uh, own your own data, um, protect yourself, take responsibility for your own actions? Like in the process of getting to the point where people don't give a shit and don't have to give a shit, 
they're just doing the exact same thing, but it's built on a foundation of like of trustless infrastructure. Or if you wanted to and you cared, you could go down to the base layer and figure things out. But in reality, most people aren't because they're just using some third-party service that takes away all that shit. That that was my argument. It, it's no longer a revolution once it's happening in the background. Now it's just uh, Web 3.0. Where you know what I mean? Self-driving cars. I don't need to know how it works. Just get me there. When I when I started this podcast, when I got into it in 2012, 2013, I was promised certain things. <laughs> you were and told not, there was going to be punch and pie. Yeah, exactly. Good way to put it. I, I'm not just talking about Lambos. Punch and pie is a good way to put it. I was told that banks were going to go down. There was going to be decent, true decentralization. And now I'm told I can get a grid plus machine and my electricity can be paid for in the background using a lattice. And I don't need to understand how it works. But all of a sudden, my power is flowing through a blockchain, and I can save five cents on my bill. To me, that's not revolutionary. I think it's efficient, and I think it's very cool and progressive. I, but I, I, I need the punch and pie. That's where I'm at. I think the revolution is different than what we were promised earlier in a lot of ways. And that's, that's having an option to opt out of trusting someone else. Before this, we were, we were never able to like choose the service that we wanted. We just said, okay, this is the only thing that exists. We do this. And, we, and by doing that, I have to trust someone else to do things for me. And a lot of the technology that we're trying to make, trying to create, especially like status, for example, is opting out of trusting someone else and taking responsibility if you for your own actions and data and, and privacy and security if you want to, as opposed to only having an option to not do that type of thing. There's always going to be people that would prefer to say, I don't give a shit. Someone else can take care of this for me. But we don't have options. I actually have a different take on it. If you think about your life and actually the last 50 years, by far the number one most revolutionary invention was the internet, right? That's the absolute game changer, so to speak. If we write a history book of the last thousand years, that's what they're going to remember of the 20th century. But when the internet was built, it was built for people that did trust each other, right? Universities that did trust each other and government entities and stuff. And blockchain was really built around the idea that, hey, people can't be trusted. We have to have a trustless way to transmit, you know, information and stuff like that back and forward. And part of that is decentralizing it. Right. By, by, by making it so that there's not a single person that can be forced to give over information about who's using a ledger chat or whatever you're going to call that. Right. Then we're going to make it so that because nobody has that information, nobody can get that information. Right. Status. Status chat. I'm sorry. <laughs> status chat. OK, we can take that out in post. Right. Nope. You're going to get the way you said it. Uh, <laughs> Bitcoin for me is like that really cool concept car, and then when it finally gets made into production, it wasn't as cool as promised. I think oh, that's, that's a, a cynical. I think. That's well, I think cynical. that's. I think that's the way a lot of people feel. Like that's like that sentiment is a very real feeling in terms of like what people potentially would. Love. Let's say, for instance, Libra happens and it becomes massively adopted. That is the situation that Cello just described. Yeah, I always tell Dee and Corey that the best project might not be the one that catches fire. And so, I mean, who knows? But let me tell you about the concept cars. If you go to a car show and you see this Toyota thing and it is badass, it looks like it's out of a science fiction movie, right? I mean, it's got it's got LED panels on the sides and it just really looks like a spaceship. The reason that you never see that car in the street is because in order to mass produce those things, they have to water it way down and maybe one or two features stay, but everything else gets completely washed down for the masses. Yeah, Yeah, the Chevy Cruze hurt my heart. (laughs) (laughs) Because that was such a badass concept. I don't want to believe in that. I think that some of these technologies can be useful for the masses. Like if we could make asymmetric cryptography a massively adopted thing, then we we have we have a drastically different environment. Like think about like the, that's pretty much the original goal of PGP, and it sucked because the usability sucked. This is probably the next iteration of that type of situation. And, and I think like we don't have to make those concessions in some things, but in, in other words, like we're going to get like the Libra will be the watered down concept car of Bitcoin. Oh, for sure. But eventually we'll get to a point where like we'll actually be able to change people's lives with real technology that they don't have to care about 
I don't know. It's, I, I, I hope for that, but I, I, I worry about what Cello says. Yeah, and that word that you use, Ray, really scares me because I think the worst thing you can be in this space is a cynic because there's so many things to be cynical about. And I try, I do, I try my hardest not to be one. It's hard. But, but I, you've been I, holding I, your breath for four years. years and you're <laughs> blue, right? I, I still show up every week because there's a lot to be excited about and there's a lot to be hopeful. And I try not to be a cynic. I do. So I have to tell you guys something. I have not had a conversation this deep and introspective since I was in a dorm room. So I will give you some praise for that. This is a dorm room kind of conversation. Never mind that what was else involved in the dorm room. We won't, we won't even go there. Welcome to the Bitcoin podcast. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, I guess we can wrap. Um, I, I, I don't know if, if Ray, where you're going to be at next week, is something you want to promote. I don't know if it's going to download. <laughs> you say what I will promote. Ray will take you to my Twitter uh, following directly to my Twitter page. And you can definitely follow me for updates on Hacker Summer Camp Weeks, especially things involving unpublished research or surprises during the week. Um, again, that's rayredacted.com. And you can I will be tweeting, live tweeting from pretty much all the events next week. Sounds great. Because you, you were telling me that you talk to a lot of media. It must For be sure. kind of hard because you you need to represent yourself and the words you speak, but you can't, you don't need to know my shoe size. Like, how do you do that? How, how do you find the balance? Well, so this week it was, it was just a feeding frenzy of people that wanted scoops, right? Everybody wants a scoop, right? That's, that's the biggest thing. It's in the news cycle. It's like four hours. It's not 24 hours. It's four hours, right? There's constant, you know, uh, news cycles, et cetera. But no, I was talking to the, 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 the reporters as myself and I was telling them who I was and stuff like that. I wasn't okay. obfuscating my name like I do in the Slack. Kind of. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks for coming on. Uh, it's definitely fun to talk to you. And Let's talk about, don't forget to talk about the book and the Patreon. Come on I'm now. Working on that. Chill out. Okay, all right. <laughs> Guys, we have a book. You should go to the website, bitcoinpodcast.com. On the right, there's a big picture of the book. Click on it. It's cheap. It's awesome. It's a, it is a pictorial representation of what Bitcoin is from 2000 and what, like 13? Yeah, 13, 14. Till now? Or till now. Everyone from Andrew Yang to porn stars to people who work at Consensus to athletes Andreas, like name it, you name it. There is a perspective of what Bitcoin is to them in this book, and it's cheap. Go buy it. Uh, We got a Patreon. Join it. You can get a few. You get a few perks. Mostly, it's just to promote us and uh, help us make this podcast. Because we don't do too many sponsors, we don't try to make too much money. You will get early access to the podcast on a special feed that you can subscribe to. RSS feed you can subscribe to. And eventually you have some discount codes to the store that we have where you can buy a bunch of our merch. So go to store.thebitcoinpodcast.com to get all kinds of weird merch, funny things, beanbag chairs. Um, you can wrap all the shows in the network that you like. Hashing it out's the best. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, join the Slack. If you go to the podcast, the bitcoinpodcast.com, there's a big Slack button at the top. It'll give you an invite to join us. That's where the majority of conversation goes. And that ranges between conversations like we had today to conspiracy theories, to price talk, to whatever, you name it. There's a whole plethora of people that will welcome you and talk to you about the things you like. So. Price talk is interesting because you got a guy in there who thinks the price is going to go to 8,000. You got another guy in there who thinks it's going to go to 20,000. Voice your opinions. A lot of charts. A lot of charts. Go in there. <laughs> uh, we have a brand new show debuting this week called Block by Design. So if it's the intersection of blockchain and UI design, a little bit of UX, uh, coming from the horse's mouth, designers themselves, interviewing people in the industry and giving their perspectives, and that launches this week. It's really a great name for a podcast, to be honest. Yeah, it's great. I, like I haven't heard the show, but I sure uh, I bet yeah. the show. I haven't heard the show yet. We're excited <laughs> to hear it, but. Great name, and I, I really like Reem. I like what she's done. I've talked to her a lot in the past, so excited to hear it. And with that, I guess uh, I'll do Dee's uh, sweet call off. And no, no, you got to say shout out to yeah, okay. <laughs> oh yeah, shout out to all the chicks that Dee shouts out to, and my shout wife. out to Meryl Streep and Anne Hathaway. Oh, whatever. What do you think? Yeah. Is that what white people? Wife. <laughs> yeah, that's what white people shout out. <laughs> Play. Yeah. <laughs>
Thank you.